Well, it took, you know, it took five new signings to replace me on Project Josh Vaughn since I'm no longer formally on the team anymore, but you're still going to listen to my Razzly voice on this podcast. Peter's too buffalo too much structure right now. And yeah. He, yeah, Peter's all buffed me, up right now. My whistle real quick. <laughs> oh, he's taking a sip. <laughs> all right, so lubricate welcome, the pipes. Welcoming to the 2024 first edition of the Project Echelon training spicky sticky spicky bottle sticky bottle podcast. He's strong. All right, the sticky bottle podcast. Season three. This is the start of season three going into the 2024 season. Going Thank into, you. We're calling it because we had like a three-month gap, so we might as well just call that the off-season, yeah. right? Yep. On the show today, we've got myself, Peter. We've got Ricky, Zach, mm-hmm. Matt, and new signing, Sam Boardman. Sam comes from the Legion of Los Angeles, where he's been since uh, 2021. He's been a huge, huge part of their squad. You see him on the front dominating the lead out train, making the breakaway, coming out with some fantastic wins that bring tears and of joy to many. Um, Cause he's a loyal, loyal teammate for sure. Uh, prior to Legion, he was on the wildlife generation pro cycling team and um, hails from, is it California where you're from Sam? Strike one, Peter. Strike one. <laughs> you were born in DC. I was born and raised. How do you know this? The creepy pro cycling stats, bro. I'm not. I'm not. I'm come prepared. So it's funny now that I live in Montana, and it's like a super anti out of state kind of place where they don't like people from not Montana moving here. I have to be really careful saying where I'm from because they especially Mm. hate Californians. There's like a super virulent strain of nativism around here where if you're from California, they hate you and you better not be driving around a car with California license plate because there's like a 50 50 chance it's going to get vandalized. (laughs) Jesus. Damn. That's like Texas and Colorado. You see a Texas license plate and you're like, fuck those people. Oh, yeah. No, it's terrible up here, too. It's like Texas, California, and Florida. You wouldn't be caught dead with those license plates. You'd probably just rather walk. Those are the three worst states as is. Hey, man, <laughs> California is pretty yeah, good. Don't you don't, da- don't you back talk? Okay, just Matt thinks anywhere that isn't within two square miles of Des Moines is the worst <laughs> place ever. He's like, oh, if it's not Des Moines or Boone, North Carolina, it must No, no, Banner Elk. You, no, oh, no. Banner Elk. Sorry. <laughs> Boone's overrated. Where's Banner Elk. Dude, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> Actually, it's cheap. It's in the middle of nowhere. One stoplight. It's literally the dream in the mountains. Wait, so, so have you ever done Johnson City Omnium? What? Near there. Have you ever done Johnson City Omnium? No, the I've only stage there. race that matters in the U.S. Yo, that stage race is actually freaking money. It finishes on an hour-long climb. Yeah, it's sick. It's dope. Anyways, back to the agenda, Peter. <laughs> what? Get us going again. <laughs> really, yeah, really, so- really quickly. I got to bring this up because more people need to know about it. Whoever's listening to this, so a friend of mine, we were talking about where we were from actually last night. He's from Virginia. He hails from a place called, uh, I think it's like Little Pump, Virginia. And his parents currently live in a place called Goochland. No way. Shut up. Goochland. Zach, do you know it? Short Pump. Or unless you're talking about Short Pump. (laughs) Zach's from Virginia. I I resonate with Short Pump on a lot of levels. Really? (laughs) Bet you do. (laughs) But yeah, his parents are in Goochland. Nice. Is that also in Virginia? I wish it was was Sean Gardner to make his story so much better. (laughs) Sex Panther from Goochland? Sam, I mean, back yeah, back to Peter's schedule. How many miles or hours or laps do you think you've ridden on the front of a crit in the past three years? Uh, I mean, it's a good question. Actually, this is like Spotify. His like 2023 Spotify. Rap yeah, well, for yeah. The my, like season wrapped. Uh, I don't know. I like I spend more time on the front than not. Partly because it's my job, partly out of fear, I suppose. I mean, you could theoretically, using that logic, consider me the most scared person in the Peloton. Yeah, you have a very unstressful 
job to be on the front. It's sick when you get to ride on the front of a crib. Oh, it's the best. Are you kidding me? Get to just like chill out on the front, get a good session in, exercise a little bit, and then, you know, pull up, pull the shoot with one to go and keep out of the riffraff. <laughs> and get to watch the finish. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that's actually the thing. That was, that's been like the running joke. Uh, the only finish I've ever seen uh, in a crit on my time on Legion was my own win at Tulsa. And Tulsa, and te- technically, I so didn't sick. even really see that because, like, anytime I pulled off, I've literally just like stopped pedaling, and I've never actually seen the finish. And yeah, do you just have a million? Are... Do you just have like DNFs like across? No, the I don't have DNFs, and that's actually a point of pride that I want to point out. I finish every <laughs> single race, yeah, even nice. to the point where it's like maybe it would be considered dickish, but like, for example, <laughs> at uh, Tulsa night one when there was worst a crit on pilot. earth by the way what worst crit on earth by the way that day no man that that's awesome oh i hated just, that day. i haven't done man, that like six never years i don't need to you just have to have like super dilated pupils and yeah, you're ready <laughs> yeah. to race in the dark it's no darker than littleton Actually, littleton, littleton is also is... fucking terrible too but it's that's fun. what i'm saying though i think littleton is the darkest crit in the country yeah. Okay. There's one I will say. Littleton. Littleton is definitely safer than Tulsa day one. But I think the <laughs> worst. Some of those old speed week courses. Those are bad. Absolutely tragic. Like I can't remember the name of it, but there's one where there was no lighting on course. And I remember I was looking for the reflection of people's brake calipers. Like I was literally looking. The only speck of light was like the glimmer of stainless steel of like someone's brake caliper and. That's why disc brakes are unsafe, man. They don't have the safety reflector brake calipers on the bikes anymore. It's a conspiracy against uh, nighttime crits. Yeah. (laughs) That was when Peter didn't have a family to go home to and he was just willing to send it in the dark. Did you guys ever do uh, the crit at Amateur Nats in um, Boone's or not Boone's Road in Hagerstown? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was the most terrifying crit. Really? We just had one. Yeah, I thought so. It just no. had that like scary ass like turn, depending on which direction oh, yeah. they ran it in. But that one turn, if they were doing it in the clockwise direction, that right hander to the downhill where it's just like a giant floodlight and it blinds you and then it goes right <laughs> into a dark alley. Yeah, Ricky, they did it as part of a stage race and they did it as like a Friday night crit. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was through Washington best. County. Oh, what a legendary race that was. Yeah, Damn. super cool. Yeah, so scary. Sam, how many times do you think you foiled Peter's plans of chasing <laughs> down breakaways and in, in little cha- in little uh, groups he was in off the front this season? I don't know. I don't know. Peter, what's your take on that? Did you ever actually see Peter in a crit? Is the yeah, next I was question. Say, <laughs> okay. I was say, oh, that's the real question. Like I was off the front a lot. I well, barely. I mean, it was really funny uh, at Indy this year when I was in the move with Cade and it was just that like doomed breakaway. And it was mm-hmm. hilarious because it was the kind of breakaway where I think everyone was tired, but then the Peloton was also tired. And so both groups were like not working all that much. And so if like we had radios, I could have easily just told people like, hey, if you whack it like for 10 seconds, you're going to catch us because we're not doing anything. And anytime Cade made a move, I would follow him. And anytime I made a move, he would follow me. And it was literally just the like the the cat and mouse. And then at one point, like I pull up to him after I chase him down and I'm like totally winded. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry, man. It's the <laughs> job. God, you've probably destroyed so many people's hopes and dreams over the years. <laughs> well, so many people have destroyed my hopes and dreams. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, you got some. You got you got plenty of a uh, uh, nice results this year, though. Yeah, I mean, it was unexpected, like unexpected, unplanned, but like that's a result. You know, it was like awesome to see. No, it was a good year. It was a it was a fun year. I really enjoyed like the racing. Just felt like I don't know. You know, when things like feel like they click, and then opportunities come about, and it was just mm-hmm. like I felt like. I never really like years where it's like super high highs and then super low lows because mm-hmm. it just feels like really uncomfortable. I like that one thing that you can point to that was a really good moment. And then everything's just kind of like steady. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. There's this saying, I'm going to butcher the, the quote, but there's this saying that like potential is, hold on, opportunity is preparation. No, potential is 
<laughs> preparation waiting for an opportunity or something like that. And I think if that's isn't the it opportunity or like opportunity is when luck meets preparation. Maybe that's that might be it too. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it too. But let's just keep saying three words. Yeah, <laughs> like luck. If, if some, you know, luck combination and and luck and preparation, you choose two, and you organization got is when the uh, finagling meets uh, motivation. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. But but no, I guess where I'm going with that is like, you know, when when you know, you might have a job to do. The formula of the race might be the same in terms of your roles and responsibilities. But at the same time, like there are ways where, yeah, that door opens for you. And if you capitalize, mm-hmm. it's that much more fulfilling and rewarding. And, you know, I remember it's like, you know, step, you know, phase one of the races, making every breakaway that goes up the road, phase two, line it up for mm-hmm. the lead out. And if the, if you happen to be the guy that makes the breakaway that year or that race, like, you're the guy. I mean, yeah. the team trusts in you for that and they're not going to chase you down. But I mean, yeah, that like Tulsa was a sweet race to watch and follow your success there. And, um, you know, that, that's everybody knows that. I think everybody knows, you know, your caliber of rider that given the day you're going to capitalize on it. I think there's a lot of people that don't understand the roles within a real team. And they mm-hmm. get confused. Like there was one guy who messaged me after crit mats and he's like, I saw you like at the front of your train for like the last so many laps, but then like you're off the back with one to go. What happened? And I'm like, well, I did my job. And he's like, well, what do you yeah. mean? You did your job? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I got the out of the way because I'm not, I'm just a liability at that point when I'm like sitting in the wind. Yeah. And well, it, I think it's, well, I was going to say, it's like interesting, like to your point, I did do a little research. I went on pro cycling stats as one does in preparing for a podcast and look at, uh-huh. I looked at Sam's PCS. Oh, and so like, unimpressive. Well, yes and no. I mean, every, I'm getting on this. I haven't like, looked at his. Well, like if you look at like nationals road race, like you consistently do well at nationals road race, you know, it's yeah, you're, like, you're Mr. Consistent for sure. I would say like, you can like, you're always there no matter like what the situation, like somehow you're like, you're like the wild card they can pull out at any time and you're just like, can make it happen. Yeah, Sam, what, in your words, what type of rider are you? I mean, I wish there was like a fancy French word that was like cool and neato to say that was the equivalent of... This is an American team. We don't care. Yeah. I'm a a all-rounder. I don't know. I actually would like to think of myself as an opportunist but first and foremost like i truly think of myself as a domestique and i've tried to like it's kind of hard honing that that role in a crit scene because it's just such a different dynamic from traditional like road race and stage racing but i truly like that role and i feel like i don't know it's it's one that i have a lot of respect for and it's also one that i get a lot of joy from partly because like i think with consistency when you have that opportunity if you are a good domestique you're generally like pretty fit you can find your way into a good situation you can have your moments but honestly i feel like if you're a designated race winner constantly that just sounds super freaking stressful to me i don't know like i've never it's never well, kind of a yeah i was gonna say like what up? about before like what about before I don't know. What was the first big team you were on? Like wildlife, maybe? Yeah, I would say wildlife. That, I mean, that was the first continental uh, contract that I signed. I just remember there was like a year, probably before you were on wildlife. I don't know which team you were on then. Maybe it was like Mark Pro or some some like local team. And you yeah. were just like, you were there like top five, everything. Like, uh-huh. so you were kind of like race winning, you know, going for it at least. When yeah. it was just kind of like when you were the guy. So I, I mean, how did that like, change like from then to now? I think it's just like, I mean, I think the the Peloton has definitely changed. It's hard to say whether like it's stronger or what, but I just think like racing dynamics have also changed. And maybe that's just because like, because the racing in Europe has changed, it may, I, I don't know. I may be talking out of my ass here, but no, it's I just agree like, with you. I think racing is so different than just four years ago. Like it's way yeah, different. Like I feel like 
American racing is always trying to reflect to some degree or another European racing. And it just feels like it's harder earlier these days. And it's less and less that you see races where it's like the break will go and then the teams will sit on and maybe they'll chase it. Uh, I just feel like in a lot of cases in American racing, it's like you'll fight like crazy for the break in the assumption that the break is the winning move. Like, it's not like it's just going to be like a representation break because we don't have TV coverage in a lot of ours. So they recognize like the break could potentially be the winning move. And that's what people go for. Um, I don't know. As far as the transition goes, like, I think it's funny. I was trying to like get as many results as I can uh, or as I could before I had signed my first Conti contract because I wanted to get the contract. And I think like, And this is kind of my gripe where it's like, I think people, or at least the sport makes riders feel like in order to be a good domestique, you have to be a winner. Mm. And obviously that helps. That's a, that's a clear indication that you're a good rider, but I just feel like there needs to be more credit to given to riders who actually like train to be domestiques who can be good at that job, but aren't inherent race winners or don't like want to be that. But it's so hard to convince like a director, hey, I'm really good at supporting my teammates when you haven't won anything. But maybe it's like that was your role on your amateur team or your previous team or something like that. And it's such a hard, like qualitative thing to, uh, you know, pass along to future directors, future teams or something like that. And so I think in the lower tiers, like you're just flailing about doing your, like your best to get any kind of result because that's how you get to the team. But as I like worked my way through different programs and into systems where I was able to find like a comfortable place where I didn't necessarily feel like, Oh, there needs, I need to be making another jump instead. I like could find my role within the team in a program that was like, you know, growing or stable or whatever. And then I found that niche and it worked. And I is something that made me feel very proud of the work I do. And also brought me a lot of joy because I just like seeing my teammates have success. And it's also, again, like speaking to the highs and lows of the sport, like I just like not having the pressure of winning and knowing if I did my best and my teammates did my best and I did my job every single time. And that was yep. like super satisfying for me. I, I get that a lot. I mean, I, I totally understand that, especially with like, I mean, my, my role the last few years has not been being the guy, right? Like when Monk was on our team a few years ago, we were racing for John or Monk in the sprint finishes. And the last mm-hmm. few years we were racing for Sam or Ethan or Kate. And I mean, I, I think, I think my racing experience was that where I could position myself well i knew how to run a lead out i knew where to put ourselves and like i liked that role because i knew that that was like unique to my skill set and like yeah sometimes like taking taking the pressure i'm not i'm not speaking about myself i'm just being sympathetic to what you're saying we're like yeah i'm doing the work and doing it right is a lot harder and doesn't maybe get the credit that you know being the finisher is because I mean, yeah, we've all, y'all got to learn how to win the race, but you also got to learn how to like be the right teammate to make something, to make something special happen. I mean, I think that's, I think that's all of us on this call, you know, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. like literally looking around, it's like, okay, Ricky's there for support in the mountains, essentially. Zach's like the flat man, uh, TT guy. I kind of just like, no, I just said you're a flat man, TT guy. Flat man. (laughs) We call you. We call you Fat Man TT guy. Like Crits or Peter's, like kind of the crit captain. Zach, isn't and... isn't your nickname Zach or Greg the Keg? The yeah, Keg, well, Zach the, the, keg, the keg, Greg. Yeah, yeah. He's it's, thick um, like oatmeal. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, the origins of that are not where you think they're they are. It's because I housed like nine beers at Joe's house before Johnson City one year, and mm-hmm. uh, then we rolled up at at Pronats and. Uh, the keg was on the the chalkboard so i've got to i've got to say something onto that because i remember when i came to joe's house and i went in the basement where zach was staying for the past few days and there must have been like 42 yinlings just like in the trash can okay it was me and joe divide by two no Uh, divide by like point nine you were like a tenth one tenth of that yeah Yeah, i've got it joe's a hard guy to keep up with i've got a i was riding with cade 
yesterday and Cade had just met the legend of Joe Carpasasi. Oh, and when he met him, like it was the most typical Joe. It, it was it made me laugh really hard when Joe said that I was just like Derek G. And given the chance, I could have done the same thing at the Giro that Derek G <laughs> did because I had the same skill set. And like bless Joe's heart for thinking that highly of me. But that made me laugh really hard when he said that. And that Kate was just too. like nodding. His, <laughs> just it was just like nodding his head. Yeah. yeah. But man, no, I think back to Sam's point, like the the like support role on a team is not a cop out. It's like difficult in a different way. No, exactly. And like, like to that point, you just like know that that's something that you can literally like be the best in a race at. And like well, you that, take ownership of that, right? That's like the difference from like, I don't want to be like, you know, our team is so much better than other ones. But like when you get to the level of our team and we have guys that are so good at different things, like you actually do do a job. It's not like, you know, like a team that's like, we're going to do a lead out and they never do it. When you yeah. have like the guys to do the job, then that's, you know, why we've been pretty successful. Dude, you want to see? You, yeah. you want to you want to know what my job is? Looking at my uh, pro cycling stats, I DNF'd every single race except like <laughs> two because on the last day it's always some death march where we have to like lead Tyler to glory, yeah. and I'm yep. a sacrificial lamb. So like that's my job. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot to be taken out of it for sure, and I think I, mean, no, I think do... that. Oh, go, go for it! I was gonna say when you don't do that job well, you get axed. Like okay, I did, because you're not winning, you're not helping. No, yeah, Peter, the, no team wins, is, no the, help. the team is doing like two crits this season, I'm pretty sure, which is the sad for the crit guys. Yeah, but it was just, it was so much money to go to like so many crits around the country. It was like, it no, was man. like something like, no, yeah, the, the, case, the, the travel, the travel money and like days on the road to race time ratio is so wildly out of proportion oh, yeah. for crits. Like that, I was thinking about that this past year, there'd be some cases where I'd be on the road for like, you know, collective 10 days between like two weekends or something. And then I legit would have raced like collectively two hours. <laughs> so what do you look in more like forward to the most by, or I guess, this could be a two-part question. Like, why did you decide to come over to Project Eshon and like, what are you looking forward to most by switching it up? Uh, well, I wanted to be on this podcast so badly. That's uh, what everybody says so far. It's all the new guys. They keep <laughs> saying that. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I've had a lot of respect for the program for a really long time. And I'm sure you all can corroborate this. Like Eric is a, like a star model of, communication and organization that i wish the sport as a whole could aspire to like so he sometimes tells us too much <laughs> he i mean well that's the thing like at one point i'm like should i sign like an employee contract or something yeah <laughs> but i mean it's it was so impressive like when the offer came in and he's like do you want to take it i'm like yeah sure and he's like great here's a spreadsheet I need you to fill this out i'm going to send you some emails here's a recording of our last meeting i need you to fill out some of the forms and i was just like i don't know it was just awesome because i was like oh that's great because like in so many years past you know you deal in a sport that i don't know what it is about the culture but it's just like it's hard to get people to communicate like back and yeah. forth on any kind of consistent level and so like it, like I remember when I was trying to find my first pro contract, like it, it like as an amateur, you're just kind of sending emails into the ether. And mm -hmm. in this day and age, and I guess it's kind of a product of this tech culture, but it's like you don't even get an answer that's no. And if anything, I think that's worse because it's like you have that stick like dragging hope yeah. that does nothing for you because you're just like, well, they didn't say no. So maybe there's still a chance, but it's just like, you're wasting your time holding out for something that's not going to happen. And so like, first and foremost, I know Eric runs like a really well-oiled machine. And I've so appreciated like watching it grow in like this really progressive but seemingly sustainable way where he's just like he's not bitten off more than he can chew and he's like he's built something that i think has genuinely seen like legitimate growth not only in the riders that he recruits but also in the calendar and that goes to mm -hmm. the second part i guess to the you know the question is like 
I just think the calendar that the team is touting right now is super ambitious and really exciting. Yeah, no, it's legit serious, like exciting. It's like, it's like 40, it's like 40. I think right now they're sitting at like 41 or 40, 40 race days in Europe. All it's stage races basically are one day legit. I had to find out about like half of them on cycling news. I like saw the article about the team and I was like, whoa, like, yeah, I I mean, we're doing like that race. We're doing like four stage races between like January 28th and like February 30th or whatever. I mean, it's like a legit thing, too. I mean, and I think that goes with like us bringing on someone like Gord as a second director that they're going to be splitting the squads in Europe. too. It's like which I think is I think that's awesome because like. I think it's cool. And that was the attractive thing too. When I was chatting with Eric and he was talking about the, like splitting the squads, it's awesome that everyone's getting like that experience, but it's not like everyone's getting the same experience. And so it's going to be able to pick and pull from their own time at different races. And that's just so much information that can help build like an even stronger program. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said earlier is like, I, I fully believe Project Eshon's like the most sustainable team in the US right now, just with like how Eric budgets, like we never overextend ourselves. Everything is like very well thought out and like mm-hmm. we never max out money. We never max out riders. Like we keep it pretty um, mm-hmm. I guess like short and sweet. We yeah. shoestring it sometimes when you know, sometimes we yeah, but talking to stuff out. Yeah, but Eric's been talking to Scott coming from human power to health and like the same, going back to what Sam said, Scott even said, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this, I'm hearing it from Eric that like the, the meetings we're having, he's already like hearing way more info than he ever got on human powered health or like, mm. you know, like he's already like so much more in the loop of what's going on, not only with the riders, but with the team and management and race calendars and stuff like that. So like, I think that's, that's a huge, you know, tote to Eric for doing well and putting on like a good program. And it just shows like he's, he's out there searching for that info to like make the team better. Not just like, Oh, I can sniff mm-hmm. it to these guys. Cause this is how it's ran at the next level. When really he's like, no, I, I want to make it better. Or at least make it comparable to, well, you know, almost, yeah. To your point, man, it's almost better that like Eric doesn't necessarily like he didn't find himself in a director role through the conventional means of like being yeah. a pro himself. Right. Definitely like, helps him. I think. Yeah, what that's allowed for is like a a, a fresh, a organic and fresh approach to how to, you know, manage an organization, run an organization without yeah. these stigmas and some of these old, like, old guard mentalities. And like, also, yeah, Eric is very financially conservatively minded. And that in itself, like, you know, he doesn't go buy a sprinter van in the, the first 50K sponsored paycheck he gets just because that's the, what teams do, Right. He gets a 1992 Ford <laughs> Conaline van and you limp at home, you know, but hell yeah, hell yeah. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like it, there's actually some some, you know, even though there's some hiccups along the way because he's learning as he goes, he's still growing like, pains, growing pains, not growing hiccups. Pains, not hiccups. <laughs> there's growing pains, but he's, but but the fresh approach is actually serving to be better. Yeah, he's yeah. not afraid to, like, ask um for help. Like uh, he like. The dude knows knows so many directors that he'll just he'll reach out and just be like, "What did you do? Like when you had this, or like when you went to Belgium, where did you stay? Like stuff like that." He's like, the dude just like seeks out knowledge and yeah, tries to make like a program and make it easier for us, you know, so we don't just you know get on the ground and have no idea what we're doing. So all right, mm-hmm. we got to go back to Sam. This isn't about Eric. He's not dead. He's still with us. He's I just not on the podcast. Eric, slurping Eric so hard. <laughs> I know. We Peter's usually just make fun of Eric. Like, Sam, you haven't even seen it yet. We usually just rip Eric apart. <laughs> like, don't be afraid to do it. He won't fire you over it. Okay, I should okay. have been fired so many times at this point. So many years ago? So many years ago. <laughs> Wait, I want to know, Sam, who's, do you know whose who's Argon bike you have? Do you have mine? Do you have my old one? <laughs> I took the down. saddle off, so I wasn't able to sniff it. But, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Oh. Did it have, like... Did it have 60 mil of spacer with a negative 17? Uh, mine was pristine. I'm asking because that thing was pristine. Yeah, you actually used it as well, just a race bike versus everyone else just rides it as a Yeah, no, leader. actually, I have to say, whoever's bike I have, it's, it's Peter's. It's like, oh, dude, it's mint. It's in great shape. 
Yeah. See. Nice. Nice. I, what size there's like le- you- there's legit like a freaking monster cans worth of stack like from the oh. seat from the head to that's not chopped. So oh, that's got to be taken care of. That might have been. I'm looking up at the ceiling to see if I can find it up there. That might be mine. <laughs> Resale value. Resale value. That's just little things I did for Eric. Resale value. Yeah. I uh, Sam, what size of stem do you have on it? Yeah. Wait. Okay, wait so yeah. That's actually, this is a thing. That's that's actually been like the annoying thing right now is the stem that I have on my current bike is uh, the current bike I have in California because I was doing a training block in my aunt's house and I just left it there when i came back to uh home for hang on don't don't say the size yet because this is how i know of this i saw peter's old bike hanging out in the stand at chain and spoke where ozzy our mechanic works and i'm uh, in there i'm like oh whose bike is that he goes oh it's boardman's and i'm like there's no way i'm like is it to his dimensions he goes yeah it's what he sent me i'm like i'm pretty sure he runs a way bigger stem that he goes no he told me uh 120 negative nine and i'm like I, dude i'm not kidding no i'm way. pretty sure he runs like a 170 or something so stupid <laughs> he goes no he doesn't and then and then and then he calls you and then i'll let you finish the rest uh, okay i actually want to see what because i had that conversation with ozzy where like yeah i was like i always have no way he runs a 120 because people think i'm freaking nuts but like what what did i say to him i was like He's like, hey, I'll get, you know, bike sorted, yada, yada. I'm sending it with a negative 10, 120, I believe. And there's plenty of hydraulic hose to go longer. And I said, thanks, dude. Uh, and thanks for getting everything sorted on the bike. That sounds great. Currently, I run a 170 stem on my tarmac. Hence why I asked if there's a heap of hose stuffed in there. I think we should be good. Oh, He's God. an extra foot of hose. What size bike yeah. do you ride? So okay, that's the thing. In another life, I should have like been a an orangutan. I should have been a swimmer because I have like the shortest like legs and the biggest torso arm length to my overall height. Because I'm like six six one, but my legs fit a fifty four, but my arms are like for a sixty one. What's your saddle mm-hmm. height? Uh, like seventy five. That's pretty good. Well, you are six pretty, one, so that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, and I've had people get on my bike, and they're like, they're sitting with the saddle, and they're like, Jesus Christ, he does have short legs. But then I was, <laughs> so the past off season, I was like, you know, you get the one forty stem, and you're like, oh, this is pretty long. And I'm not gonna lie, like, there's a heap of ego that plays into this because you want to be the guy with like the big dick stem, like you know what I'm talking about. And so it's like, you want to <laughs> have that conversation starter. But part of me was like, well, but genuinely, that like, conversation started like, yeah, man, it's a 170. I knew about to ask. <laughs> I mean, truly, like, not to, not to, like, and again, it's not, it's weird that I'm saying this, but like, not to toot my own horn. I have a pretty big stem. I don't know if you guys know this, <laughs> but like, people would come up to me and they'd be like, what size is that? And then I'd be like, <laughs> 170. And they're like, no way. And no, you should start out. seeing your handlebar with like, yeah, they're 38. It's like, no, I met your stem. You're like, oh, it's a 170. <laughs> Dude, I like, and I don't know, like, Cormac McGough rolls up to me once and he look. he's just like, comes to the side of me and then he looks down and he looks at me and he's like, what is that? Like, new model horsecock 3000 or something like that. <laughs> you should stencil that on the side of it. I have been wanting to make uh, like a sticker and hand it out to anybody who has a size 150 stem or longer that yeah. you're now part of the, the compensators club. What brand is it? Is it the specialized? So, okay. Because they, have, I assume they have custom stuff for the like world tour guys. So, that's how Trek so is. The over the off season last year, I was like trying to figure out because I wanted to get like lower. But the problem is, it's like the stack on the tarmac is fairly big and so you're just like you only have like so much that you can do and i didn't want to get a negative 17 because i'm vain and i think it looks ugly on a bike mm-hmm. i don't like the mm-hmm. look of a negative 17 degree no stand. no no it, you're gonna no, peter's gonna no, get no, butt hurt no, here no i dude I, I, it I, looks so ugly the garage and they're all negative 17 oh, they're all so your bikes ugly, you have man. the aesthetically worst looking bikes of all time every year he'll have like peter with the physique has saddle saddle yeah hey hey oh, hey, hey, hey the market the market was market was slim pickings for Ariones. Yeah, he's yeah. got the he's got the test saddle. The Ariel, the taint scalpel. You're running that. 
Peter would run hockey tape on his handlebars. Like huh. he would run it instead of bar tape. And his and his and his and his wires and everything were always externally routed. <laughs> oh, I'm not Even though it was an internally thing. routed frame, he just didn't want to bother with no, it. No, outside so the handlebar. Like, tape it down handlebar, the down tube. It's just too much work, you know, too much work for the handlebar. Peter would get like <laughs> Peter would get new shoes from the team, but still ride like Shoes he had from Estella's pretty much because he didn't want to get the new ones dirty. Yeah, gotta save days. those. Gotta save those for <laughs> resale when, for when you don't get when you don't get them for free anymore. Didn't <laughs> didn't Peter like break a bow or something? Have like duct tape his shoe one day. Oh, they probably do remember that. That's definitely multiple, definitely multiple <laughs> occasions. So, so I got I got that stem after. The winter, I was like playing around and I was like, well, I spend all the time on the front anyway, and I should just like find a way to fold myself in half and <laughs> like that, that would make me more aerodynamic. So I went back to 36 centimeter bars because like Jesus. last year I was, I was running uh, like 40 centimeter traditional bend bars, which were ugh, so sexy, but just mm, too wide, way too wide mm. in this games landscape just shaking his head he's just shaking his head right now so I went to, like feels closed off just hearing you guys talk about so i went to i went to the 36 centimeter bars and i like i legit when i sent that picture of those like works uh aluminum bars to the group chat i was like genuinely considering it but i think those are actually uci illegal now so because mm. they don't want you to have a good time no. uh and then I, so I went back to 36 centimeter bars and I was like, oh, I got to get longer. How do I get longer? And so I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shorten the cranks, get them down as short as I can get them, commercially speaking. And I'm pretty sure I could have gotten, like, because of sponsor obligations, we were on SRAM and the shortest they went down to was 165. So boom, slaps 165s on there, hip angles wider, chest is open up, we're in business. So I get it. And this guy's living stem. in 2030. Dude, I'm out here playing chess. Everyone's else playing checkers, man. So I'm looking on the internet and I'm scouring because I had heard rumblings of this new track bike company that had been like making wildly long stems. And so I found it. I know where I know where you got it. You know where I'm going. I know where I go to. I find uh it like had come up on like a, a promo page on my Instagram. And this is the only time that like those advertisements had actually like done me some good. And it was huh? just like an advertisement for the Bellow bike, long boy stem. That is what it's called. It's the long boy B O I blah. blah. So I go onto the website and they, it's a track bike company and they make, uh, I mean, all their stuff is super trick. Like I wish I rode track bikes just so I could have an excuse to buy plenty of it. But the stem itself, it comes in lengths between 120 and 200 millimeters. Mm. So I was like, well, 160 is like just barely a departure from what I'm using. So let's just go 170 because that's like a pretty big chunk. So let's do it. And I put it on and it looks sick. And more to the point, it like did exactly what I wanted it to do, which is like, I was basically able to get into like a super arrow position. And like, because I got the shorter cranks, I wasn't like compromised in chest area and like, I feel like I could still breathe. Mm-hmm. And the the one caveat is like for the first couple rides out, because I only rode that bike initially on the trainer. And that was like for legit, like a month straight before I left Montana to go somewhere dry. And when I went outside on the bike it was the wildest like ridiculous and i'll just go ahead and say terrible feeling bike in the world but you just get used to it like you just normalize everything i mean like steered like a steering the steering the edmund fitzgerald thing was like a boat <laughs> hey rubble. hey too soon too soon sorry sorry my bad <laughs> my bad it, it's uh, funny because a bunch of people will hop on my bike and they'll look at me and be like dude this thing hair undles awfully like i hate it and I was like, you well, you only need to make four turns in it. You're like, I just and that's what I told them. Like, I'm not doing any major mountain pass descents in my calendar. So all just, I got to do is just like, just wait till you go weeks. to Mallorca and you do yeah, the that's where what we I do heard. 50 switchbacks in one descent. I'm not going to name names, but there's someone in the, in the men's Peloton that rides incredibly narrow bars and of course crash some shelves out of the break at sunset loop this year at, <laughs> at uh the winning break, break. Of the winning, break, winning uh, break at redlands and i yeah what's that said of two people i was okay, like so they, i can die peacefully now 
I mean, I <laughs> again, not naming names, but I think like per that rider's own admission, it wasn't the bars to their credit. It's because uh, they were so clapped at the end of the race that they were trying to put their bottle into the uh-huh. bottle cage and they just put it straight into their wheel and just mm-hmm. needed themselves. It's even worse. Yeah. It's really worse. Yeah. That's, that's blame the bars. You know who lost out most out of that was probably Robin. Robin was probably like, oh no, like the guy not to name names is a good guy to probably have in the break with you. Actually, like Robin was saying, like after he was gone, he's like, God dang it. Like now I got to do it myself. But truly him holding off the field to win on Sunset was, it was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Wait a minute. It wasn't a field. It was Tyler. (laughs) It was literally just Tyler. (laughs) Easy, easy. I was there too. Uh, fuck off i fell on the sword too zach and i were crying on the side thinking we lost yep yeah sam what like what like speaking of those times like what was the highlight of your seat obviously your tulsa win this year was pretty massive but like mm-hmm. what was like what was one of the more special moments of your season this year that you had uh Hmm. Trying to think. I like I will always say like it's always special to me to go back and do armed forces, not be not only because I think it's like the best crit in the country, Mm -hmm. because it's freaking sick. Um, but like going back to effectively a home race and getting Mm -hmm. to like see my friends hang out was really special. And especially this year went because my parents my dad's retired my mom's gonna retire next year so they sold their house mm-hmm. in dc and they're moving to new mexico mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna have like an excuse to go back there anymore so it was kind yeah. of like the last last hurrah mm-hmm. for going back to like the house i grew up in and so i don't know i always think that's super special and i actually really love the riding in dc mm-hmm. and, or at least like in and around that area and it's actually pretty cool to go back to the place i grew up but never raced or rode bikes when i lived there and kind of discover a whole new kind of like area whenever i go there yeah yeah i never say that about chicago going back (laughs) yeah can't say that yeah when did you start riding bikes sam or racing at least uh i started i started yeah i started riding bikes in 2014 autumn of my freshman year of college my first race was 2015 man you're so young so young young. i don't know dude I'm hey, everyone 30. on this call, everyone on this call is older than you, but that's the oldest people on the team. <laughs> I that true. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm the oldest old person. I'm the oldest person on the team this year. How old are you? 31. Oh my when did you turn 31? So When's old. your birthday? Mine? Yeah, race age is 32 then next yeah, year. Yeah, race age. Yeah, I was trying to be sneaky. I was trying Dude, to make you think I was 31 next year. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? You know Matt. what, Eric? Eric said that Zimmer was going to be the Lackland Morton of our team next year. No, that's yes, no. I don't. Want, I'm not that, wearing flip flops and doing. He literally stuff. told me I don't have you time. Were be the Lackland Morton of our team. I was going to be. Dude, the you're you're going to have to like ride to one up him. You're going to have to ride from like the top corner of Alaska down to freaking Miami. Zimmer yeah, doesn't have enough time have to time. ride to the grocery store. No, he's got, got a baby. Hey, I was on I was on Zwift this morning at like five fifteen. Oh nice God. dude I, I had i was trying to do a workout on swift before this call and i just like checked out i, I couldn't do it i was so mentally cracked speaking you think 515 is bad i rode with Cade yesterday Cade is just yeah, he's on a, a different path. level dude he's been riding at like 2 a.m every day just oh. fucking banging out miles in the middle of the night going yeah, to because bed he, at like he sleeps yeah he sleeps till like 8 p.m but he sleeps till eight because he goes to bed so late because he rides so late. But yeah, I asked him, I was, I was like, if is you he ride, trying it, to like, uh, is he like, trying to adjust to like this European time zone now? No, yeah, he's getting ready for Mallorca three months in advance. <laughs> that would be asked, some like big brain stuff that Cade would try to do though. <laughs> Cade, before we did Guadalupe, was like, he was like, I'm in a training slump right now. So he went and did like a 14 hour ride up to 12,000 feet. Like we had to like, Zach went with him for a little bit, and then people had to like make sure he made it home. He That's rode what like, I do when I'm in a slump, dude. Zach, we, how many miles did he ride that day? It was 
I don't even know how many. It was 200 miles, I think. I mean, that's yeah, that like was like the goal of the ride. And um, is that? I mean, I'm so excited now. If that's the kind of person Kate is, I just I love picking people's brains like that. He's yeah, no, he's the he best man. Then he won't ride for a week. Yeah, he um, dude, dude you don't he, have to. If you cram in 15 hours in one day, that's your week. No, but yeah. he started a 15 hour ride at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Like he, <laughs> he like, couldn't get dressed. <laughs> In time, and I was like, guys, like adjust the plan. What the fuck do you think is gonna happen? Like, and they're like, no, man, I think we can, we can do it. Like, it's like the longest. Dude, that's day such cycling time. math, though. I had the same thing happen to me last year when I wanted to do this one end of the year like final banger before the weather turned, where I rode from Whitefish to Missoula, which is like 160 miles. It's not crazy, but the route is a little like kooky. Mm-hmm. but i woke up and it was like kind of drizzling and raining and i was like oh, maybe this isn't the right day ah, i'm just gonna do it anyway but of course i left like way too late and in your head you're just like oh yeah doing the math i could totally ride that speed and totally finish before the sun sets and you're making your thousand way... feet of gain and you're like yeah, yeah exactly you're like hours yeah, you like you do the map, and as you progressively make your way deeper and deeper into the ride, you're like, uh, I don't know, the numbers aren't checking out right now. I got <laughs> I got to run the numbers again, and then you keep doing, it. and then by the time you're too too far gone to do anything about it, you're like, oh shit, like <laughs> I could die. And I I legit like this is the only ride I actually feared for my life, in in that I genuinely thought there was a chance I could like die because I had gotten to the top of the final pass that descends down to like. The inner valley where missoula is but then once you get to that inner valley you still have 15 miles from this place called frenchtown to get to missoula where i was staying i got to the top of the mountain pass as the sun was setting and i was like oh, oh no and of course <laughs> of course that day i was just like ah, i won't need my lights who oh, brings no. lights it makes the bike look ugly and so i started descending and it's pitch black it starts snowing. The ground is sopping wet. I have no lights. It is this pothole ridden dirt road in the middle of freaking nowhere. And I cannot see. I'm basing my descents purely on like shapes and like different degrees of darkness delineating the trees from the <laughs> road. Oh, man. And so finally, like this one car is driving up. And he stops and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm trying to get to Missoula. And he's like, do you need a ride? And of course, like, I'm just like, no, why would I want to ride? I was like, no, I'm fine. He's like, do you need a headlamp? And I was like, yeah, I probably yes. should have a headlamp. And then you like, you take the headlamp and it's amazing how much hope that can give you for like a solid two minutes until you realize the headlamp is just not good enough to do what you need it to do. But then finally, like, I made it to the bottom of the pass freezing. Jess had like gone to find me because I was like fucking hours past like the schedule that we had planned. And she like came and found me after I'd called her. I was like, I need to be rescued. And I'm convulsing. I'm shivering so hard. It's the coldest I've ever been. We drive to our friend's house. I jump in the shower. I want to live in that shower for the rest of my life. But I finally get out eat a bowl of chili and as we're like talking i feel this sensation come on and we're about to leave and i go up to jess and I'm like jess i'm gonna chunder and she's like can you wait and i was like maybe and she's like what does chunder mean it means vomit oh okay because yeah, i think like my body was so out of whack and uh, she's like why don't you just do it in their bathroom i'm like no that's rude i was so like far gone that i couldn't like fathom the idea of vomiting in someone's house that wasn't my own and so i was like let's just go peacefully quietly and she's like all right well we're gonna head out i take two steps out the door down into their yard i fall to my knees and just puke right in their yard and then their dog comes out and starts eating it nice hot Damn. and so i was like i'm so sorry you guys and then i went to Marfen's house and passed out and then woke up later <laughs> because i hadn't eaten in six hours because during the ride i started panicking and didn't drink or eat anything because i was trying to ride so hard to make the time heck yeah man you wow. and Cade would do great together i, <laughs> I think Cade and i would kill each other probably <laughs> have you ever met hayden strong do you remember that guy no he once rode from North Carolina to like middle of Pennsylvania only on the hospitality of strangers. <laughs> and it was the only ride he did all year. And every 
And every other day that he rode, he would start at like 2 p.m. and end at midnight and then sleep on somebody's couch. And then they would ask him to leave. And he would say, uh, mate, my knee hurts. And then he would stay an extra day and then he would go to the next place. <laughs> yeah, he was so supposed it, to get there in like five days and it took him like three weeks. He was going to so ride wait, to Detroit he, and that's how he did was. Did he not even fit. start with like water bottles? Was he just like going? Nah, Hayden, Hayden was a different breed, man. He was, he was, uh. Yeah, he was a special case. That is truly impressive. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. have the social skills to do that. That would that would stress me out so much. I'm like an in and out in the gas station kind of person. I don't know. I mean, Ethan's the same way. He just sleeps on people's couches sometimes. You know, he slept on Zach's couch for a long time, for like a yep. whole summer. Sam, are you going anywhere this winter to train? I'll be in California for a big block. Nice. I take yeah. it before because I'd assume you're going to Mallorca. I think so. I hope so. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, um, everyone's I don't going. think you are. I think everyone's yeah. going to that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's going to. And then the idea is like people will like do different days so that not everybody is just like thrashing themselves for five days straight. Are you going to Matt, really hard? Huh? Matt, Matt, are you going to Mallorca? I have no idea. I'm on the like gray area of everything. Like, if somebody gets hurt, I probably have to go. If somebody gets sick, I have to go. Is if this because of the kid? Is the kid the kid's gonna raise himself? No. So I originally wasn't gonna race this year, and then I kind of got roped into like, like I, I don't even know. Like, hey, Matt's why don't you go do it. Matt, yeah. you're the next Lachlan Morton. Have you not exactly. been told? I'm not even close to that guy. Not, we we are exactly you're further leagues apart. ahead of him. You're so far ahead of him. No, if yeah. you sat if you sat those two down, you guys would just stare at each other. You'd have nothing to talk about. No, I already met him once. He, or the first time I met him was at Redlands the year he won. I think he won that year. Maybe he didn't. Not, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, he was just sitting outside a coffee shop and Evan said hi to him and he was just staring at the sun. <laughs> And he said, yeah, and that was it. <laughs> like, All right. I'll see ya. Good luck tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like brought on as like a hybrid rider. Like I'm doing some gravel stuff for like wine and dine, some sponsors, occasional stage race. I kind of just have to be like moderately fast all year is what I was, was going to say. Wine and dining sponsors. You're like, Matt can make anyone his best friend. You're perfect. That's why I'm on the team. Exactly. So, but I, That's I don't know if Iowa, Iowa courtesy right there. It's Iowa. Nice. Peter's only asking this to view my workload for month end. I'm trying to prepare. Yeah. I'm trying to prepare capacity <laughs> and I'll do a couple hours of resourcing here. Peter, oh, what boy. is your, what is your role going to be in this podcast in 2024? Like, are you an outsider looking in? Like, what do you, what do you foresee? My initial thought was maybe like being the independent moderator, right? Like, I, I, I moderate the conversation simply because you guys are the ones speaking to the team and the team operations. And then I can just, I know enough about you guys that I can like ask specific, I can curate stock questions specifically to you guys kind of thing. Right. Well, and depending on on if you're on a different team next year, you bring like another insight from a different organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to like make sure it's, you know, focused on PE because like, depending on what I'm not doing the same races you guys are doing and, you know, but there might be some, there might be some compatible overlap. I don't know. Nice. Guys, I got to get out of here. I got to go watch the golden bachelor. It's the season finale. All right, right, Peter, you're back on the team. Ricky, you're off. (laughs) Peter's what? Peter already watched it. All right. You guys are both off. (laughs) Sorry, guys.